Hi. So I wasn't nervous all day until like I, like 20 seconds ago. I'm not kidding. Until she was like, oh, yeah, let's welcome up the speaker. Oh, that's me, right? Okay. So my name is Sarah. I serve as the prayer team leader here at Yonsei campus. I, I've been here for, after this semester will be my fourth year serving at Emmaus with a bunch of, you know, the OG staff, right? Um, I was serving here in the beginning and then went to SNU where I met some wonderful Malaysians that I met back at Yonsei. And then now I'm back here, you know, Yonsei. I just made this up. I'm sorry. Yonsei? Yeah? Yeah, Yonsei. Okay. Um, I love this campus. I really do. I think you guys are such a special group of people, and every semester is a fun bag, and you never know who you're going to get, and you never know who's going to come by. But the four-year students, you know, they're awesome. You know, that's also another fun bag that you never know what you're going to get, right? This is mad close. Front row. So today, I'm really excited to give you guys a message. And I'm going to preach a message out of the book of Ephesians. And before I go into the chapter, I want to talk about what the book of Ephesians is about. Um, do you guys, anybody know who wrote the book of Ephesians? Uh, good, Paul, yeah, that's a good guess, right? Who wrote this? Paul. And you're like, oh yeah, that's pretty much true, right? And so Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, and he wrote to the church of Ephesus. And what's special about the church of Ephesus is that it's a ch- uh, church made of Gentiles. Right? Now, Gentiles are the non-Jews, right? Everybody say non-Jews. So you're not a Jew, right? And so the Gentiles don't have this long history with God like the Jewish people do. They are just recent converts. And Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church of Ephesus, the whole entire book actually is an encouragement. And I love the book of Ephesians because no other book, I kid you not, makes me cry in one section out of the love of God, and then makes me like, I'm so sorry, God, I repent. And then I'm like, oh yes, glory to Jesus, the next, like, there's like such an emotional roller coaster with the book of Ephesians. And it's because the book of encouragement to young believers, right? Young believers. Does that sound like some of y'all in here? Yes, I know, I know. And the whole point of the book of Ephesians is Paul telling the people, you can do this. You can be a Christian, but not just any Christian, but a really good one. A a Christian that finishes the race well, not just starts it off well, not just stumbles a little bit and then I'm not going to do this anymore, but finishes well. The whole entire book is about encouraging the people who have just become recent converts and say, hey, I know you don't have a long history with God like the Jewish people do, but do not exempt yourself from running the race well, right? The specific passage is going to come from chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. I want everybody to turn there. Open your Bibles or your iPhones and stuff like that. And when you, once you have found it and once I start reading, I don't want you actually to be reading it in the Bible. I actually want everybody to look at me. All right. That's good. Look at me. And I'm going to read it for you. But as I read it for you, I want you to have an image in your mind. That these are not just words like that just go through your mind, but has like a dynamic that wakes up your mind to think in levels. Do you understand? So I'm just going to read this passage. I want everybody just to open it, but I want you to look at me while I read it. Okay? So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses of 
trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, found the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of, his, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. So I love this section in chapter 2 because it shows the entirety of a Christian's walk in 10 verses. It shows the before, right? Living in sin. What, what is it? This is a really intense. Like sons of disobedience, uh, following the prince of the power of the air. Um, nat- uh, what is it called? By nature, children of wrath, right? But God. And at the end, we see all these great things. By grace, we have been saved, raised up with us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Bam. In, ten ver- in just 10 verses, we go from the beginning, God, and then the end, right? We, all of us in this room, we're somewhere along this line. We are either here, children of wrath, I'm just kidding. <laughs> over here, somewhere over here encountering God, somewhere over here walking this new life out. All of us, if you're Christians, we're somewhere along this line. You know, we just came back from a retreat about a month ago. A month ago. That's not really long, but kind of seems long, right? And the, the thing that I feel is um, we've lost our place in this. Some of you guys came back from the retreat, encountered God powerfully, and now you're trying to walk out this rest of your life. Some of you guys didn't go to the retreat, or you guys didn't really feel anything at the retreat, so you're on this side right now, right? Whatever you are, we're all on this line together. But here's the thing, whether you're on this side, you know, seated by the hand of God, and blah, 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 on this side, and you want to stay on this side, or whether you're on this side and want to cross over to this side, the most important thing that we need to know is this. Why God does what he does. Why God does what he does. The title of my message tonight is called The Motivation of God. Okay, the motivation of God. You know, when we look at a company, and you want to just look into a company and see what it's all about, what do you look at? Vision said mission statement, purpose statement, right? It usually says it on their website. It's very clear. Um, they, it's one of the things that you need to even, you know, have a business plan. That's one of the most important things that you have, right? And so <clears throat> this is what a purpose statement is. A purpose statement captures in a few succinct sentences the essence of your business's goal and the philosophies underlying them. 
Equally important, the mission statement signals what a business is all about to your customers, employees, suppliers, and the community. What your business is all about, right? God has a purpose for a mission statement for you. And you could read it right here in chapter four, uh, verse 4 in chapter 2. I'll read it again. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So preparing for this message, I was sitting at a cafe with uh, Pastor Emily, who's an intern pastor at New Philly. And I was with Tina and Eunice. And we're at this really overly hipster cafe. I think it was, they, they went a little overboard on it. Um, but anyways, we were there. And I was working on the sermon. I was like, hey, um, do you have like, you know, I got this passage. Like, I know this is the one I, I need to preach on. Do you have any commentary on it? And she's like, yeah, yeah. And she, you know, she's going to seminary. So it's like a real deal, right? So I was like, yeah, I want it. And then so she's, and so she looks it up on her online, you know, seminarian only website. And she like lets me have this, you know, big commentary on it. And she looks at it. Oh, it's really long. Like verses one through 10 is like really long. Do you still want it? I was like, yeah, I want it. You know, like if I want to do this, I want to do this right, you know, so just give it to me, you know? And so I go down and you know how like when you copy, you know, scroll down, you got to hold and then you got to scroll down until, you know, at the end, you know, the copy all, you know, scrolling down. So she's doing that. And I go downstairs, get my coffee, go to the bathroom, I come back. I'm she, she's still, she's still holding it. She, she's like, it's really, do you still want it? Like she's been holding it for like 15 minutes and all that. Oh, I don't need it, you know? So I'm like, yeah, send it to me. And so she emails it to me. And I kid you not, it's a 40-page commentary on these 10 verses. Just the 10. Just, you know. And it does the Greek thing and the, and the, it goes by word by word. I get word by word. And, um, I didn't read it all. But I got to verse 4, okay? But that's pretty good considering the whole entire thing is 40 pages, okay? So I read until verse 4. And uh, the reason why I read until verse 4 was it changed the course of how I was going to write my sermon. Because this sentence came up in the commentary. I was like, I just, I just, I threw my pen. I was like, this is it? This is, this is it? We're going for it, you know? And so verse 4 commentary, it says this. Before, I'm, I'm going to shorten it because it was really long, right? So before verse 4, there is no hope. Humanity is at its worst and there is no salvation for us. And then verse 4 comes in. But God. They did a 16-sentence commentary on those two words. But God. Why? Because he was saying, when God intervenes. Your life was going a certain direction, and then God says, I'm going to come in. God said, but God, but I come in, right? But God. He he reverses the course of the life we were living because, this is the quote, of the great love with which he loved us. In the ten verses, your whole entire Christian life, this is what he does. But God. I will come in right here, and this is going to stop, and this is your new life. Like I said in the beginning, whether you're on this side or on this side, this is the most important thing you need to know. But God, God intervened. God moved in your life, and he does why? Of love. The motivation of God is his love. Not for the trees, 
not for the birds, but for you. But God. That is the motivation of God. His love, his great love for you. You know, love is like, um, gets thrown around a lot. Like, I love this, I love that, I love the sauce, and oh, I love McDonald's on Tuesday. Like, you know, like, I love the dollar menu. Like, everybody loves something. And the word love gets thrown around so much, right? And sometimes you really mean it. Oh, I love Tina. You do. But do you really love these socks? Like, do you really love them so much? You know what I mean? But yet, this word for love for socks and this love for Tina, the word love has the same lettering, the same spelling, but does it mean the same thing, right? We walk around saying love, I love you, I love this, oh, I love that movie, that was so great, I just love that scene, right? But do we really know what love is? Because if we knew how powerful real love was, because in this passage it says it changed the course of your life, right? When God intervenes with his great love, this is no more and this is your new life, right? If love that is so strong that can turn the course of your life comes into your life, can you still say, I know love? I know God's love. I know what that means. To be honest, I found this out recently in my life. Recently. Not yesterday, but like recently enough. Okay? And that's what we're going to go into today. The motivation of God's love is his love. What's the essence of God's love for you? Because it was big enough to change the course of your life, I feel like we should know more about it, right? Because it's God's not saying, I love you. Like I love the dollar menu. You know, like it's like, it's not the same thing. God's love is so special and we're going to look into it right now, okay? If you're taking notes, which I hope you are, point number one, God's love is ultimate. Everybody say ultimate. I'm going to go back to verse 4. I'm going to read that again. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. There are three words in the Greek for love. Number one is phileo. Everybody say phileo. It's P-H, not the F. P-H-I-L-E-O. And then eros. Eros. And agape. Now, phileo is like the friendly love. Like, I, I love my friends. I love my aunt. Like, it's like a, what does it say here? A deep abiding friendship, which is good. It's, everybody needs it. But it's the, it, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna increase in the level of love here. And the phileo is like right down here, nice and safe. You don't really need to be intimate with these people. Not too much, right? Like, it's, we're friends. We're good, right? And the second word, arrows, everybody say arrows. It's the eros love with a little bit of sexual meaning to it, okay? The word erotic comes from the word eros, right? And so it's not necessarily like a negative thing per se. Like if you're having eros love in, in marriage, it's, it's all good. It's all kosher. We're good. We're having eros love outside, you know, outside of marriage. Not, that's not good, right? So it's not necessarily bad. It's just it's a little sexual meaning to it. Erotic, okay? The third, the highest level is called agape. Agape love. And this is the level that God works on. Not here, not here, not even in between. But on the top level, top shelf, like highest grade meat level love, that is what agape love is. 
Okay? So we're from phileo, eros, to agape. We're increasing in intimacy here, right? Like we're having friends. We're just friends with each other. <laughs> we have like friends with benefits. I don't know, like, you know, little sexual things going on here. And then the highest level of intimacy, agape kind of love, is the kind of love he has for you. In this verse specifically, the word love, the because of the great love, is the word agape. God doesn't throw agape love just anywhere, you know. This is very specific to God loving you. Okay? Agape is the ultimate kind of love. It is unlike a love between friends and family members. It is the most self-sacrificing kind of love. This is what got me. The agape kind of love is a sacrificial love that voluntary, voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, and even death for the benefit of another without expecting anything in return. So this is a kind of love that is not an emotion. It provokes action. Phileo love, eros love, that's emotion. When we get to agape love, yeah, you feel the love for that person, but it makes you move towards a direction. So if you want to sacrifice for this person, you just don't sit on your butt and say, I sacrificed something for you from this far, right? If you really want to do something for somebody, you inconvenience yourself, right? You do something that's outside your character maybe, but that's the kind of agape love God has for you. Case in point, John chapter 3, verse 16. Everybody knows this, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. The word love, the verb love, is um, in Greek, agapao. Pao. I wrote a little note here, like, find out how to pronounce it from David on. But I didn't get to do that. Agapao, to love in agape love. To love in agape love. Because of this agape love for you, God was moved to give up his son for you. He wasn't saying, I love you from afar, high five you and you and you. He said, I love you so much, I have to give something to you. I have to really inconvenience myself and sacrifice out of my own being to show you how much I love you. So I'm going to give you the most precious thing I own, and it is the son, my own son. God is displaying agape love to you, full force, big screen. So I would really like to give like a cheesy illustration of what this could be. Like, you know, if you loved your doll when you were growing up, ten times that by a million, you know, and or like, do you love your football team? Well, God loves you more than, you know, times like a billion, you know. But I was like trying to think of what is a good illustration for this agape kind of love in like a worldly sense. There is no comparison. That's the problem. There is no comparison to this agape kind of love, which is a lot of the reasons why you guys don't believe it. It makes no sense. Yes, I understand, and I have no other answers for it. It makes no sense. It's a love of God, a heavenly being, bigger than anything else you know, and he loves you with this agape love, this strong love of sacrifice. He loves you. You and you. Right? 
He loves you in the ultimate kind of way. The highest level of love, the highest level of sacrifice, that's the way he loves you. Agape love. You know, God's love is deep like that. Agape love. But God's love also has great length. And my second point is this. God's love is everlasting. So agape love, the top level, you can't get higher than this kind of love. But it's also everlasting. But what does everlasting mean, right? God's love is everlasting. It is infinite, eternal, unchanging, and unsearchable. It is everlasting in its duration. It is unfathomable in its depth and unsearchable in the mystery of its grace and choice. That's what everlasting means. Infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and unsearchable. No beginning, no end. Everlasting, forever, infinite. Right? And, and we say, why? Once again, I don't know why. It's just God's love. This is how he works. It's everlasting love. And do we show an example? The whole Bible. Let's look at the Old Testament, okay? The Jewish people are the people that God calls my beloved. Like, he loves the Jewish people. He has chosen them by hand. And he's like, these are my sons and daughters, and I love them to bits. Like, I just love them with agape love. But the problem with the Jews, if you see it in the Old Testament, is that they fail God over and over again. They challenge God over and over again. They disappoint God over and over again, right? Coming out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh's rule, and they're like, oh, yes, God, thank you. And then they're walking in the desert for a couple of days, like, oh, God, why, right? And then you give a great leader, and then, oh, God, why, right? And then you're about to go into the promised land, like, I can't go in. This is the heart of the Jewish people. God, I love you. No, I don't. God, I want to have you. No, I don't. God, I believe in you. I can't believe you right now, Right? But this is a reply of God to the Jewish people. In Jeremiah chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. It's in the NKGV. I'm going to read that one, okay? Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord. For I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I'll bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds, according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And he responds like this over and over again to the Jewish people. You know, I just got married. He's sitting right there and he, he's a little late, but it's okay. <laughs> um, but this is something that Sam loves. That's his name, Sam. He loves to say to me, he's like, you know, you annoy me so much. And there's nobody else in the world that annoys me as much as you do. But I love you. No, it's not. <laughs> and you know, like, same thing back, right? Like, I'm like so mad. I'm like, you know, I'm like trying to, you know, but I love you. You know, I love you. It's okay. And I sometimes I feel like this is how God responds to us, you know? There's nobody that breaks my heart like you guys do. But there is nobody that I love more than you. 
You break my heart. But I love you. You hurt me. But I love you. Why? Because God's love will not change on you. It won't. It can't. It's everlasting. In Romans chapter 8, listen to this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Both times, and all the times that love is shared here is the agape love, or the agapao love, right? Verb or noun. And how awesome is this, right? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, and check this, nor any sins you have committed, nor any hatred you have been feeling, nor any failures or disappointments you have been facing, you will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing you do will separate you from the love of God. God's love is not subject to you, but despite you. Okay, Despite our sins, our failures, our weaknesses, he loves us. He makes a way for us. God says, you break my heart more than anybody else. But I still love you more than anybody else. That's the way God responds to you. And the last point is this. God's love is specific. So God's love is ultimate. God's love is everlasting. God's love is specific. How many of you guys grew up in the church? How many of you guys are like first generation Christians? Like, how many of you guys are second generation? Like your parents are. How about your third generation great grand, grandparents are? And then how about fourth generation great great parents? Really? All right. So I'm a fourth gen, okay? Fourth gen Christian. Um, so which means I, everybody in my family is Christian. We always pray when family gatherings happen. Um, there's always a pastor at every single meeting we are having as a family. Um, I was grow- I was raised in Christian morals. I was, you know, I was taught to go to church every Sunday and every other day that I was available. I've lived this Christian thing for a very, very long time. And I've heard about this God's ultimate love and his everlasting love. But this part, this part, I think, separates it from the rest of it. Because God's love is big and God's love is strong. But he loves you specifically. Can everybody turn to Jeremiah chapter 1? Verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Amen. 
Um, so at our church in New Philly, we have a lot of babies all of a sudden, like, boom, like everybody just starting busy, right? And there's babies everywhere. And I, I'm not particularly great with babies. I just, I think they, I just, I wish they spoke a language, you know, like, I really, I honestly, like, it's, I, I, any language, even if I don't understand, just speak something because when you cry, I don't, I don't understand you. Like, I don't, I don't know what you need, right? And so I'm holding this baby or one of our new babies at our church and I'm being mad brave about this too. Like, you know, you make me brave and I'm holding this baby and I'm like, and then she's like, oh, I just need to go to the mom because I'm just, I need to go to the bathroom real quick. And then she, and then she closes, boom, she closes the door and the baby, ah, and the baby's just crying right away. And I, I don't know what to do. I'm like, do you need your, do you, I'm holding. Do you need a bottle? Do you, do you need changing? Do you, do you, I'm making funny faces. So it's just won't stop crying. Ten minutes later, ten long minutes later, the mom comes back and and she's and the baby's still crying. And mom just takes the baby back and says, "Oh, you need a bottle." Boom. And then the baby stops crying. I was like, "I asked you if you needed a bottle. Why don't you just tell me? You know, like I don't. Why don't you listen to me, child? Like from the first place." And but she just, the mom just comes in, holds the baby. Oh, you need a bottle. Boom. And the baby just stops crying. Amazing. But it's because these parents of these babies have the special grace to know. Discern the cries of their baby, right? And to discern, oh, that's, that's a sleepy cry. Oh, that's a diaper-changing cry. Oh, that's, oh, she needs a bottle cry, you know. Like, oh, she just fussy cry. Like, I don't want a fussy cry. She's just angry, you know. And... But I don't know that, because why? I'm not the mother of this baby. But God has created you. And it says here, I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He's seen you before you even recognized who you were. Your mom and dad, they're great people, I'm sure. But God knows you better than they do he knows how to love you specifically because he's your father simple put he's your father he knows you he made you so he knows what you would respond to better he knows how you need to feel loved he knows that some people shake under the power of the spirit and they feel love or some people can sit quietly in a cafe and read the Bible and they feel love. Some people have to be in a group of people and discussing and they feel the love of God. Some people, they just need to be by themselves for them to feel the love of God. God knows how to love you in such creative ways. If you open your eyes, if you choose to seek how he can love you, in specific ways. We're in college, right? Not me. You guys. you guys are in college, right? And college is meant to just, for you to find yourself. To find who you are. Right? And the thing is, the more you try to find yourself, the more you realize you're, you're actually very unique. There's not one other person in this room like you. Maybe similar to you, but not like you. There's no two people that respond the exact same way to the exact same situation. But yet God knows how to love each and every single one of you. Not one of you will be missed out by his sight. 
is so creative. Do you believe that? He is so ridiculously out your mind creative. So let's just look at the animal kingdom. Okay? This is just like a revelation I had the other day. The animal kingdom. So I, I grew up in Korea until like second, third grade. And so my animal kingdom was very narrow, right? And so I went to the whole, the, the zoo here you guys have in the city. I used to go there when I was in second, third grade. But back then, you know, back in the day, they used to have like an elephant, maybe like a tiger. I think they got a bear from the mountain somewhere. Like it was like my, my understanding of animals, like it was very narrow. I, I know that many animals, like a dog, cat, bird, elephant, tiger, giraffe, right? That was, that's like my limit of understanding. And then I go to America and I'm sitting in my third grade class, right? And I'm just like getting the hang of this English thing, right? And then the teacher's like, oh, we're going to talk about um, a strange animal today called the platypus. Everybody say platypus. I'm like, platypus, right? And then she's like, okay. And then she throws the picture up on the screen. And I'm like, what is that? I have never seen something like that in my life. What has the bills of a duck, the makings of an otter, and feet of a crocodile? Like, I, And God made that. He crazy. Have you seen this recently, like this um, BuzzFeed post about like strange underwater animals? Like they've seen, they've like finding these like translucent sea creatures. Like that's so scary, man. Like my, I, don't, I don't go into waters until I, I can, until I see my feet. Like my husband and I went to Malaysia and we went through Aza. I can't do it. I can't, I can't go into beaches. I can't see my feet. I don't know what's touching my feet. Translucent, sh- like translucent sh- uh, shrimp. Whales, octopus, like they're all clear now. Like why? Like why are they clear? But God is so creative. He creates platypies, right? Platypie? Platypie? And translucent seafood, right? And don't you think he can manifest his love to you in creative ways? This is not a trick question, by the way, but why do leaves change in the fall? The colors change. Like, I know the scientific reasons. But why is it, why does it change so beautifully, right? Like, every time around this time, like, everybody be taking Instagram photos of, you know, this wall is so, pre- oh, this, oh, God, is so good. And, you know, like, <laughs> leaves are, it's so beautiful. And everybody's so mesmerized by the leaves changing. Like, I, I, I don't really know. But, like, I know there's a scientific understanding of why the leaves change, but, But why? Why do you think they change so beautifully? I think it's because God loves you. And he wants you to enjoy it. And he wants to see that smile on your face when you see it. Who loves food in this place? Like, not food. Like, I I don't like to eat. But I, I like real good food. Like, I'll pay money. I'll drop good money to eat some good food. Right? Half the college hands went down. Okay. And I don't have no money for that, you know? Why do you think there's so many endless combination of flavors? I'm a, I love food. You know, I love following food stuff. And there's always this like new hot chef coming up, right? He's always doing this like new, new take on the steak and the new take on the guacamole. Like it's everything so new and the fresh and then the flavors and the wow, you've never tasted something like this before. 
Why are there endless limits to flavors? I think it's because God loves you. And he wants you to enjoy some good food. He wants you to have that smile on your face. Oh, this is so good. Thank you, God. I honestly believe that God created football and certain other sports. Basketball, baseball, soccer, whatever. To see that smile on your face when you play. To see you enjoy it. I feel the love of God. If I were to like to put into material senses, like, so we just got a house, obviously, because I moved. And the number one recommendation, this is like married woman talk right here, but number one recommendation is get a dehumidifier, guys. Dehumidifier, everybody. Okay, dehumidifier. Why? It changes your life. If God wanted to show me his love, he showed it to me through this dehumidifier, and it changed my life. No, really, I'm not, I'm not kidding y'all. Like, everybody needs to get one, especially if you live in Korea. Like, it dries your laundry real quick. Like, you lay it out, you turn the dehumidifier on, you go, you go to work, you come back, it's bone dry. Amen. <laughs> it, it cleans your air. And you know we need some of that in Seoul, okay? Because, you know, the air, poor, air quality is very poor, okay? It changed my life. You cannot tell me that there's a limit to the way God can love you. If you open your eyes to see it. Why do you think God brought you into this room? With this community? At this time of your life? Why do you think, you know, I pass by English speaking students outside all the time. Not going too large group, but away from it, right? I pass by them all the time like, you speak English, you should be here. You, you, sp- you should be here, right? But they're not here. Why do you think you are here at this time with this group of people, with these staff and these stutters and the people sitting next to you at this time? It's because he loves you. He loves you too much to let you go the other direction. He loves you too much to let you just go without feeling a sense of community, without being healed, without being loved. He loves you too much. God loves specifically. Amen? So God's love is ultimate. God's love is everlasting. God's love is specific. You know, we, um, the staff that we, we're, we're here because we know this truth. Um, you know, we don't get paid to do this. Surprise. Um, we don't get paid to do this. Tina is so blessed to do that, by the way, right? Um, we don't get paid to do this. We, we joke around sometimes, like, if we were not part of Maya's staff, we would have no friends, because a lot of our time is spent on this, like, pouring into this, that, you know, you look around your birthday party, and everybody's in Maya's staff, like, you know, that's your friend. But the reason why we're here, and we have chosen to do this, is because we know this. The essence of God's love is so powerful that you cannot leave without knowing it. We refuse to let you go without knowing it. 
We refuse to let you go without being changed by it before, encounter, and then after. Right? Some of you guys are here, and I see it. Like, I literally see it on your faces, trying to stay on this course of being blessed by God. But you need to know that this love of God will keep you here. The love of God will keep you. Not you saying, I really want to stay here. I really want to keep this going. That's not going to keep you there. God's love for you is going to keep you here. If you understand that the love that you have for God is good, but the love that he has for you is even greater, that's what's going to keep you here. If you're here and you want to cross over to this side, you need to know this, that the love of God will carry you over. Point number two, God's love is everlasting. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. If you repent of your sins, nothing can separate you. I see some of you guys come in here. I don't know y'all all y'all names, but you come here Tuesday after Tuesday. And you wonder, why am I here? Like it's like shows on your, on your forehead. Why am I here? I see it. Why am I here? You're here Tuesday after Tuesday, and I recognize you. Most of you guys sit in the same spot, actually. Why are you guys here? It's because God loves you. If your desire is to be on this side, I want you to know it's not this like far, you know, glass door that you can't get through. That you see it, but you can't get through. The thing is, the encounter of the love of God will take you to the other side. Nothing changed my life until this message. Like I said, I'm fourth generation Christian, right? I, I know the Bible very well. In the, in the Sunday school version, right? <clears throat> but until I heard this message by this pastor, and he said, I'm going to preach on the prodigal son. And I was like 21, right? So I'm like mad, like not following God at that point. 21, because you don't have to at that point, right? And so I'm 21, not following God. And he said, I'm going to preach on the prodigal son. And I'm like, whatever, like not listen to this one. And he says, actually, no. I'm going to preach on the prodigal father. And then, you know, that got my attention. Like, why, why are you going to flip the script like that? Like, why you got to, like, rewrite the Bible in that way? Because he said this. Too many people focus on the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, quick, quick recap if you guys don't know, is the uh, younger son of a rich man who basically told his father, I want my inheritance now, basically telling him, I want you to die. I don't care if you live or die. Just give me my money. And he goes off, spends all the father's money. And on the way back, when he said he has no more money to spend, he's dirt broke, living like pigs, basically. And he says, I can live better as a servant in my father's home. He walks back. And then the father sees him off in a corner of his eye. And he runs, he runs, runs, runs. And puts a robe around his shoulder, puts a ring on his finger. Right? That's a quick story of the prodigal son. And he said, too many people focus on the prodigal son, which is important, but that's not the complete story because it's actually the prodigal father. The father that runs to you, that loves you so much that he will get out of his seat, run towards you in your filth and in your dirt and your sin and say, I love my son so much. Too many times... I'm the prodigal son. I'm the prodigal son. I'm the prodigal son. This side, or even on this side, actually. 
And some of you guys are on this side. You guys feel a constant um, jabbing at you, like you're not good enough. You can't do this. You can't finish this. You are not, you're not, you know, you're never going to measure up to be a good Christian, all that stuff. On this side, oh, this is very much in your face. Like, you can't do this. The point is, if we keep looking at the prodigal son, we'll never look at the prodigal father. The point is, is that it's not you, it's God. That is not your will and your love for God that changed your life. It is actually his will and his love for you that changed you. Once you refocus your mind in that way, you can literally do anything. When you say, God loves me in this capacity, oh, you feel like some kind of superhero, right? Like you feel like you can walk into a room and it's like, you know who loves me? God loves me. That was my message today. Do you know the love of God? Because his motivation to do everything he does is his love for you. His love for you is so intense that there is no comparison in this world to it. It's so everlasting that even what you put in the middle, he can walk over it. Your sins, your disappointments, your failures. And he can love you specifically if you look for it. This is the love of God presented before you. This is the love of God that should melt your heart and say, I want to move to the other side and I can stay on this side. Like I said before, the staff and I, we're not here because we, you know, we love doing this on Tuesdays, right? Because we have nothing else to do on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Saturdays and whatever days you guys have me have us, right? We do this because we understand this. And we do this because not only do we understand this, but we need you to have it. That's our main focus of why we do what we do. Do you understand this agape kind of love that never ends for you? Because if you did, your life will be completely different. Complete change, but God comes in and everything changes. Has everything changed for you? Has everything changed for you? Have you encountered God in that way and everything has changed? I'm going to invite the priest.